Welcome to the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast powered by Hiscox. I'm your host, Sanjay Parekh. Throughout my career, I've had side hustles, some of which have turned into real businesses. But first and foremost, I'm a serial technology entrepreneur. In the creator space, we hear plenty of advice on how to hustle harder and why you can sleep when you're dead. On this show, we ask new questions in hopes of getting new answers. Questions like, how can small businesses work smarter? How do you achieve balance between work and family? How can we redefine success in our businesses so that we don't burn out after year three? Every week, I sit down with business founders at various stages of their side hustle to small business journey. These entrepreneurs are pushing the envelope while keeping their values. Keep listening for conversation, context, and camaraderie. After starting his career in marketing for a food and beverage company, Jacob Burt was ready to make a change. In 2018, he founded his creative media company, Burt. Based in Raleigh, North Carolina, Burt works with their clients to build and manage their media presence across social media, email, and paid advertising. Here today to share his business story is Jacob Burt. Jeb, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sanjay. Pumped to be here. So I'm excited to have you on. Uh, but before we get into uh, the things that got you where you are right now, give yeah. us a little bit about your background. Give us like 30 minutes, a minute on kind of what got you to the point that you're at right now. Yeah, for sure. So I think for me, um, I just take it back to when I started my uh, my journey at NC State University, um, was at that school completely lost on what I wanted to do when I grew up because everyone had been asking me that for years. And I was like, well, let me just go do a very general program to see what that looks like. I bounced around. I was doing textiles, thinking about engineering, looking at all the different schools at NC State, and then finally stumbled on a, a study abroad trip to China through the business school. And on that trip, um, met one of my best friends to this day, uh, Gabriel Gonzalez. And he was like, man, you got to join this entrepreneurship program at State. We have this entrepreneurship clinic. We're working with businesses. You'd love it. I was kind of playing with this app idea with some of my friends. And I was like, man, this sounds like my group. And then when I got back, doubled down on entrepreneurship at NC State. And that led me to uh, meet the company that I started working with in a startup fashion and uh, set me on that marketing trajectory. So the, the serendipity of all of that uh, seems like it was the key. That's like the same thing yeah. in, in entrepreneurship, right? Like a lot of times it's a oh, serendipity sure. that happens. So did you end oh, up yeah. switching then to business as your major and, and graduating? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, went to uh, the Pool College of Management with business administration with a focus in entrepreneurship, which was a new concentration for the business school <laughs> uh, led by some great, a, a guy named Lewis Sheets, huge fan of the program he built there. And uh, that whole network and that group of people just put me in a completely different headspace of looking at small companies, working on real problems with small companies, and got me excited about how those companies communicate and create content and all of those things. And I, you know, that was just this sort of nucleus of energy that I was like, man, this is my thing. This is exciting. This is what I could double down on and uh, what I just wanted to, to build around for my personal interests and what I wanted to do moving forward. Yeah. I find it funny, the comment you made that it, uh, entrepreneurship was a new program there. And yeah. it's like, you know, the country that we're in, the U.S., um, 200 plus years ago, we had entrepreneurs essentially, right? That founded mm -hmm. a country. Like all the things that are around us are are because of entrepreneurs starting companies. Oh, yeah. Like big giant companies just don't blink into existence. They all started right. as small right. companies at, at one point and yeah. startups at one point. So it, it's just funny that it's taken so long for these organizations to be like, hey, 
maybe we should teach this thing that is required for Honestly. everything to happen. Yeah, right? exactly. I mean, you look at finance, marketing, supply chain, you know, some of those just like classic legacy sorts of programming at universities when to your point, like this entrepreneurship program was so like refreshing right. and exciting in real world where like you're actually interacting with companies and you're involved <laughs> in the community. It just was so much more powerful and and fun for me compared to the finance track <laughs> right. or the supply chain management. Yeah. Nothing against that. Yeah, for people course. who like that, like that. But for me, I was like, man, this is this is what I need to be doing. Yeah, I mean, totally special people that do that because I know I yeah. couldn't do that. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's 100%. awesome. And, yeah. and I think vice versa, right? Some of the things that we do, mm-hmm. um, other people couldn't do. So, you know, there's, yeah. there's a lane for everybody. So was this um, starting up BERT, uh, media, was this the first time you'd done something entrepreneurial like this or, or what was the mm. first thing? Like when you were a kid, was there something that you did yeah. entrepreneurial? Like what's the first thing you remember? The first thing that really became entrepreneurial for me was just like sort of side hustling and freelance content creation. Once I got my first actual camera, which was during my time in college as a kid, I was very much like focused on sports and boy scouts. I got my Eagle scout and some of those like free elective activities. I I was never really like thinking about building a business or, or had a side hustle of sorts. But once I got my first camera, I started doing concerts for free and then would get little paid gigs off of sort of what I was putting out on Instagram from very random local opportunities and whatnot. So that sort of festival concert content creation was my first thing that probably helped me start building that skill set of like, oh, this I know how to use this camera now. I'm creating some work to show that I know how to I know how to use this and was getting some very random onesie twosie things as I was working at this startup that I met through the entrepreneurship program and was working with full time basically doing all things digital with them. Yeah. What well, was there yeah. anybody in your family that you uh witnessed that were entrepreneurs that mm. you get to to kind of see them go through the process? Yeah. You know, on both sides of my family, my grandparents and then their parents were pretty entrepreneurial. My dad comes from a lineage of farmers in Georgia. And I know my uh, my great grandpa, Papa Kent, was, a, you know, a, a renaissance man, if you'd call it. He had all sorts of different endeavors, whether it was a country store or a farm, a variety of different sort of country entrepreneurship initiatives. My, my mom's dad helped, helped build a, uh, a medical program in Pennsylvania. So that energy, you know, is definitely very real in our family. Then my, my dad's dad, my granddad, or uh, my grandpa, he had a, a chicken farm as he worked at Lockheed, um, wow. had a whole farm side operation going. So, and then there's a, there's a whole story about how he might've run uh, some moonshine and he wrote a book about that. So, you know, we've got all kinds of cool little like entrepreneurial stories. My parents directly, uh, not so much. My dad was a pastor, which, you know, I think pastors are entrepreneurs in their own right, yep. um, building their own organizations and churches. So it, it it's kind of been in the ethos, I'd say, not that I was ever directly really communicating with them, but definitely thinking about their stories and like, you know, looking back on the photos and everything. I find that pretty motiva- motivating and inspiring to see how they were doing it in a completely different time. Not in the digital side at all, but still finding ways to create value for their community and and build something alongside of what their main career might have been. Yeah, I got to say, being a farmer sounds like probably one of the hardest ways of being an entrepreneur. Oh, my gosh. Because, I mean, it's, you know, sun up to sun down and just 
it's a thankless thing, man. Man, it is it is a tough, tough business mm-hmm, to be mm-hmm. in. So uh, I, I'm sure there's great stories in the moonshine yeah. part of it too. <laughs> that, that's a that's a whole nother layer of uh, like yeah. having to hustle and, and get things done. For sure. Yeah. So when you were um, so you were in kind of the food and beverage uh, world, and that's then right. um, you kind of exited to start doing your own thing like how why why did you think about doing that like what motivated you to make that move um for sure and, and what was your thought process in doing that yeah so really the, the the main event that caused all of it was the startup i was at ended up folding due to a variety of different things that had happened and i was in that position of man i did this startup thing for four or five years you know in startup world you're kind of like underpaid and and overworked and you're kind of believing in the mission of this company and i was honestly completely over startup world i was like man this was so annoying i i need to go like do consulting or like work for a larger company and was definitely pursuing the you know sort of the the pre-training if you will to look at a, a company like mckinsey or like deloitte and like thought that was going to be my thing and while I was doing that, I was just sort of freelancing gigs from the network I'd built at the startup, trying to put together the money to keep the lights on, just sort of support my life. And about 60 days of doing that, and I was like, oh, wait, I'm at a position now where I either need to decide that this is going to be my thing, or I got to focus on building my sort of resume, if you will, or my knowledge base to go into this different career. And the decision was to double down on freelance and see what that could turn into. But it was all really that root thing of that company folding. And I kind of went down with the ship, if you will, yeah. with that one. Yeah. What well, what was it that made you decide to double down? Was there something that you're like, this is the reason why? Yeah. I I think it was just the idea that it was working. And I had while I was working at the startup, I always romanticized the idea of kind of doing my own thing or building a company, but I never had the great idea. I was never the person who was like, oh, I've got the next best thing for this thing, or I've got this 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 product to service this market or built this thing. And when the agency started working or the freelance started working, I was like, oh, wait, like this, this could be the thing. And I liked it because I got to work with a lot of different people. I was working with a variety of different people and it kind of stroked my curiosity of learning about different people's businesses and creating content around them, as well as it was a pretty low cost barrier to entry. So I was like, there's very little to lose right now. I don't have to put up more money to get this started. It's already going. I just got to find more people that I can do what I'm doing with. And from there, it was like, hey, let's just let's give this a go because it's working now. And there's really nothing that's nothing that bad is going to happen to you right now, you know? You say some things that are, I think are pretty important to highlight there. Um, first of all, that, that nothing bad is going to happen, right? What, what yeah. in, in your view, when you were doing that, what mm. was your view of like your backup plan if it didn't work? Yeah. You know, I was confident that the network of people that I had built through the four years of working at that startup, I could fall back to if things like really went sideways mm-hmm. and say, Hey, like, I need to come on. I, I need a job. I need a salary. Like I'm either overinvested. I'm in a hole. Right. And there were some really great people that I met at that company that, you know, believed in me. They were in my corner. They offered support if if it needed to to happen. And uh, I think that foundation just gave me the confidence to say, you can go do something crazy. You can go do something different. 
And worst case scenario, that W-2 job at that company is going to be waiting for you or there's going to be a company they can connect you with. Um, and that just gave me the, the I guess, the the motivation and the power to say, all right, let's go. Yeah. Let's, let's run it. Yeah, I, no. I think what you say there is is one of the things that holds a lot of people back. They, they, mm. they have this fear that it's going to fail and, and it very likely can. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But they don't think about that next step of like, well, but if it does, there's there's always something you can do after that. It's not like you've got this scarlet letter and, and nobody's going to hire you because yeah, exactly. you failed at this. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, so the the other part that you talk about there that I think is interesting um, is that you didn't necessarily have to have this brilliant idea to start this thing. Mm-hmm. Like you just started a company and and you've continued mm-hmm. to get better at it and and do more and serve clients. And I think a lot of people are held back by that. Hey, I have to have yeah. this brilliant idea to start a company. For sure. Um, For sure. What what got you over that hump of being like, I can just, I can just do it. I can just start doing things. It's, you know, I think even when I was at the startup, I always had this methodology with my approach to digital execution of progress over perfection. And if you can just take one step forward closer to that end goal, it might be ugly. It might not look right. You're probably going to have to change it eventually, but at least you made that step forward. And, you know, we were, we were Jacob Burt LLC and we did all things digital for anyone who needed anything digital, whether you needed a website or a brand. If I had any knowledge of how I thought I could do it, we would do it for you. And uh, I, I just think I, I got to the point once I committed to it where it was like, just do the things and find out what you do enjoy as much as what you don't enjoy doing. And, you know, we realized over that first year that like, we probably weren't that great at websites. We probably weren't that great at making brands. We probably weren't that great at, you know, uh, some other like, like SEO. We're not that great at SEO. We're not that, we're not that great at like um, Google search ads, uh-huh. but we're pretty good at like content creation and social media strategy and uh, email marketing and Facebook and Instagram advertising. Yeah. So, you know, that, that, that uh, progress over perf- perfection has been foundational in the past three years for me. True true to form, you know? Yeah. I, I, I like that there. And a lot of people feel like they can't ship something unless it's perfect. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, nothing is ever perfect, right? You, no, you never. from even big companies and there's problems with it. Oh, that's right. So, yeah. um, I think people need to get over that hump of, of it mm-hmm. has to be perfect before it ships. Support for this podcast comes from Hiscox committed to helping small businesses protect their dreams since 1901. Quotes and information on customized insurance for specific risks are available at Hiscox.com. Hiscox, the business insurance experts. So let, let's uh, talk a little bit about, um, well, actually, I, I, I do have one question for you. So you uh, mentioned the name of the company originally was Jacob Burt LLC. Um, yeah. What made you default on that name of all names instead of actually oh coming gosh. up with something else? Like, could you not come up with a better name? And you were just like, I'm going to yeah. slap my name on there and that's it? <laughs> so my one of my first ever gigs that I got, I this company hit me up like, hey, we need you to go film this bar opening and we're going to pay you like 40 bucks and we need the footage. We're going to edit it. You just go do it. And I was like, yeah, of course. I was like a little, you know, Friday evening. I'm not going to do anything other than like sit around or whatever it is. I'll go shoot it. So I shot it, sent them the footage. And they're like head of operations emails me back. And he's like, hey, to pay you, we need to have an EIN. And I was like, what is an EIN? And I was on LegalZoom and I was like, oh, man, I need a company. And at that time, 
I never really thought I was going to have a company. I just thought I was going to be like side hustling at this startup. So I was like, I'll just be Jacob Bird LLC. You just hire Jacob. Jacob comes out. He does whatever. So I made Jacob Bird LLC. I got an EIN in like seven days and emailed it to him. And I made 40 bucks. I think I paid like $300 to have the company made. So I lost money on it. But I was like, I need the EIN. Otherwise, I'm going to look like a fool. Like, how do I get this put together? And uh, yeah, so yeah, that's that's how Jacob Burt LLC came to do. I think I had a couple DBAs on it. Or maybe I added the DBAs later where it was like, Jeb shoots LLC because that was my Instagram handle or like Jeb Jeb commerce but I used my my legal thing was Jacob Bert LLC and I was rocking with that so so your first deal you ended up losing $260 on yeah lost money on it for <laughs> sure yeah I run a negative I mean the yeah I mean it's funny looking back on it because there were some learning experiences of getting scared into some different bookkeeping agreements and stuff where like the first year while I was doing the company and side hustling uh-huh. with the startup, I think I lost like four or five thousand dollars. Well, let's let's just talk like about that. Like, how did that yeah. happen? So I don't know what it is, but basically, after I set up my thing on LegalZoom, I started getting solicitations and phone calls from these different companies that wanted to offer services. I, you know, now now I realize that 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 LegalZoom or whatever it was was definitely selling my information to these companies right. and. I got on a call with this guy and super abrasive kind of sales personality that was trying to sell me on um, 1-800-TAX-ACCOUNTANT or something. And there was this form that he said I had to have. And if I didn't file this form, I was going to have to pay all this money and I could be in legal trouble. And um, I was just scared, frankly, because I was like, oh, man, I didn't even know that this was a thing. Like, I don't, I don't know anything about the paperwork of a company. You know, my my taxes, and my bookkeeping is definitely something that I've had to learn a lot about because it was definitely probably my my least area, area of knowledge. And uh, yeah, I got looped into this like three thousand dollars for a year. It was, it was quite expensive, uh-huh. but I had like I had some money in my savings and I was like, OK, if I got to do this, to like lay the foundation, I'm going to do it because. I don't want to get in trouble with the government. And that was a horrible decision. And it was through some really shady sales tactics that uh, I got put into this, that agreement. And uh, looking back on it, you know, that was, you know, didn't really like hurt me in a sense of like, I'm I'm doing fine and things are great today. But it was, it was really scary and kind of emotional, an emotional decision at the time for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's very fortunate that it's worked out for you and it's fine that that decision, but you know, these shady tactics that happen, um, it's, for sure. it's bad because there's a lot of people that it probably doesn't work out well for. And That's this right, might yeah. be the tipping point that causes them to have to have to fold something like this. So, yeah. um, it's a, it is definitely a bit of a scourge on, um, early right. stage entrepreneurs and, and we should all fight against that kind of thing because, mm-hmm. um, it, it prevents us from growing and, and expanding as a society. So, um, okay. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox on that. Let's, let's uh, switch <laughs> gears a little bit and talk about how do you like manage all of this stuff with life as well? Um, mm. So you, you've got a business, you're running it. You've, you've got a bunch of people working with you. Um, so there's a lot of things you got clients. How do you balance yeah. that with, you know, getting enough sleep and getting exercise and, and setting boundaries? Like how do you manage all of that stuff? 
Yes. So I'll try to keep this relatively short. I have a lot of thoughts on it. The first one is like getting help when you need help because it helps free up your time. So don't be afraid to look for contract help. Even even if it's five hours, even if it's seven hours a week, you can find someone Upwork, you can find a virtual assistant to help just free up some of the minutia of the things that you're doing. I think that's one. Two is like project management off the jump is so important so that you can space out projects over time and just take bites out of it each day. We use Asana. Very intrigued by Notion right now. That's been huge. Um, And then like just calendar management, like start living off of your Google calendar, make appointments with your partner, make appointments with yourself to go work out, like just really be deliberate in living off of the calendar. Um, I I know some, some people resist the idea that they live off of the calendar, but for me, personal, professional relationship, everything goes on there. And it's just a, a breath of fresh air when I can pull up my Google calendar and I see my week. Because if I can see my week and I can see my events, I can conquer my week. And I really believe in that. Um, so, yeah, those those are the three quick buckets right off the jump that I think are like a priority to making things really work for you. How did you um, how did you figure out that you needed to get all of your like personal stuff in the calendar too? like was there uh, an issue in the yeah. past and that got you to this point? You know, it really came from my time at school where I I really felt like I was trying to just build a resume of experiences and things. And I was trying to do a lot of stuff in, like I had my school schedule. Then I had my work schedule where I was probably doing like 25 to 30 hours a week of work for this startup. And then I had the entrepreneurship clinic, which was sort of like freelance work and like different sort of networking events and stuff. And Honestly, it was just a ton of my time that I needed to understand where it was going. Mm. If I didn't want to like forget about this networking event or, you know, not go to the grocery stores that I had to visit to check on stock with. Like I just had to really time block stuff and um, even like trips with friends. Like I just totally would forget about stuff because I was just cramming my weeks trying mm. to build this body of experience and, and whatever that would be in the future for me. So school, school hit it. And then as the company was growing, just trying to have a healthy relationship um, with my girlfriend, as well as just understanding, you know, what are my family trips that are going on in the future? Like, just being able to not drop the ball on anything is where the calendar became really important to me. Yeah. Do you, do you just use like a, just a plain Google calendar or do other just people? Plain Google calendar. Okay. Yeah. Do, do you have yeah. other people that have access to it or is it just you or... How do you manage it? My team has access to my calendars. They can always see where I am. You know, we're a, we're a very like transparent and open culture and, and type of workplace. So there's there that hasn't been like an issue or anything. I know some people have hesitations about that. And then um, my uh, my girlfriend and I, you know, she'll send me invites for trips we're going on or like if we have dinner reservations, you know, I'll, I'll send out a calendar invite for that. That's been kind of a funny thing for us because now it's always like. Did you send me a calendar invite? You know, we got to get it on the calendar. If it's on the calendar, it'll happen. If it's so, we'll send them back and forth. Um, but yeah, it, this, it was just simple for me to like just execute on the ca- on the Google Calendar and keep that really front and center for how I'm planning my time. Yeah, um, it, it, that's quite funny. We've just recently started doing this ourselves in our, in our own nice. family. Um, yeah. And uh, we don't have any jokes about it yet, but it, it's been nice because <laughs> your kids will be sending you the calendar. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> they, they know they know to to send like yeah. they need to make sure that I'm there and like my time gets blocked That's and I'm great. not recording or yeah. doing something like that. Like I need to get it on my calendar because it's not going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine in the future as like, you know, 
people are growing up with devices and like, we're just so much, we live in this digital society that like that whole planning thing is going to be just as much of a, a kid driven initiative as a parents driven initiative. Yeah. You know? Um, let's, uh, kind of keep going down this thread a little bit, um, talking about kind of technology apps and systems that you use for sure. What are the other things that you use to help sure that, you know, make sure you don't drop the ball on anything or that you manage your project properly? Like what are the things that you could absolutely not live without? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's, there's four, there's Slack, there's Asana, there's Google drive, um, and then there's essentially, I, I guess it's bigger, but it's just like the Google network, if you will, of Google Sheets and Google Docs and and slides. Uh, Canva, I should probably throw in there because we rely on that pretty heavily. But anyways, like the the general implementation of those is like we have that quick communication with the team, which is essential for our type of business. Digital moves fast, as well as with our clients. We set up chats with them if they're on a retainer basis with us. So we're we're one step away from our people. And then Asana is where we live and die. You know, if it's not on Asana, it's not going to get done is what we say. So we're, we meet and we focus on, does Asana have everything? How is the, how are the Asana projects moving? What do our timelines look like? We meet on that twice a week um, to make sure that we're, we're staying on track. And then everything being shareable on Google makes it so that our team can collaborate on it in real time. You know, nothing gets lost because it's on a hard drive over here at someone's house. We back up everything online. So that's been essential for our speed of business as well as like efficacy of our engagements for sure. Your team um, that you work with at BERT, it's all remote. Uh, Do you have an office? Yeah, that's right. There, There is no office. There is no office. We started really like building the team in COVID. So it's kind of all we've known and all of our content production happens on site with our clients. We go to them usually or or we'll book out a studio space. So, and and I, you know, I really did want to build a business that led to a lifestyle that I enjoyed and being able to be remote and being able to work on the road are things that I really value personally. And I think our team does too. So we're big advocates of, hey, you can do the work anywhere as long as the work gets done and as long as it's being tracked. Yeah. Who's the furthest flung uh, employee or or worker from you? The Philippines. We've we've tapped into a VA network out there that's been super helpful for a lot of our execution assignments. How is uh, managing the, the time zone difference between you and the Philippines? It's not bad if you plan it out far enough in advance. I think a lot of people get frustrated because they try to plan stuff the day it needs to get done or the morning it needs to get done in the afternoon. And like that just doesn't doesn't work with a international workforce, if you will. So like if you can understand your project pipelines for the next 30, 60 days and you can just put in sort of the daily deliverables of what needs to be happening, um, that's great. It's it's hard to work with virtual assistants in real time. So creative projects have been sort of frustrating, but things where actions can be batched, things can be planned. Um, that's when it's been a game changer for us for getting, getting stuff done consistently over time. It's great. Yeah. Um, okay. So thinking about you, you've been doing this now for a, a good little while. Um, thinking about if, if you could go back in time, what would yeah. you do differently based on what you know now? Oh, that's an interesting question what would I do differently? I think I would just, I'd slim down the scope of services for sure. <laughs> I wouldn't be everyone to every, I wouldn't be everything to everyone. Right. Um, I, I would really hone in on our media brand approach that we have today. And I'd probably, you know, I think that's the biggest one. I think it's yeah. just like trying to focus on the things you love doing that, you know, you do well 
where the work proves itself because all our business has basically grown through referrals. Yeah. So do good work as much as you can, as often as you can that you enjoy doing. And that will have the big, biggest result. That first year is kind of a wash for us in a way, you know, cause we were like, what are we doing? We got to do it all. And right. that would probably have helped the business in a, in a pretty big capacity. I'd say. Yeah. But, but that, that experience that you had of doing everything for everyone also helped you figure out. I know. I, so it, yeah, it, exactly. it's kind of a dual edged thing, right? Like if That's you didn't right, have that, exactly. then you made it, maybe wouldn't have figured it out. A hundred percent. Yeah. But now that you have figured it out, you're like, well, we should have done that. I didn't need to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, th- there was, there was some interesting other initiatives in that first year where I was focusing on um, trying to work with churches. I thought churches was an opportunity uh-huh. during COVID to basically just provide digital services to churches to produce their sermon on a weekly basis oh, and do social yeah. content because they needed, it was called Faith Digital. We onboarded five clients to it and it was working, um, but I spent a lot of time in the lead generation for that business and it is just so hard to sell to a church um, given you got to get to the decision maker and the size of churches that we were sort of honing in on. It's very complicated. And then I also thought that there was a version of our business that would be just doing like white glove digital services for CEOs at established companies. I had a decent network of sort of chief of staff type of people through the past company I was at where I was like, maybe these CEOs need to be better on LinkedIn. And I spent a lot of time exploring those two business avenues and basically kind of got dead ended on the white glove CEO service and then just kind of burnt a lot of lead generation time on the faith digital side. So yeah. it's all part of the learnings and like trying to figure out what that, what this agency media company would have been or could have been um, all in that first year of exploring, yeah. you know, what would you um, tell somebody that's thinking about taking the leap and, mm-hmm. you know, starting a side hustle or taking their side hustle into a full-time business? You know, it goes back to just that idea of like, what do you really have to lose at the end of the day? I mean, I know that looks a lot different for people in different stages of life. If if it's someone, I, I speak to a lot of like high schoolers and a lot of college kids and even I've been speaking to some middle school classes recently. And I, I urge them all to like, just try something alongside of what you're doing when you're young, because your your risk is so much lower than once you've become a parent or once you've added more obligations onto your um, onto you, whether it's payments for a car or whatever it may be. Like when your risk profile is super low, just try, taste, test, and explore. And for someone who's willing or is thinking about making that leap, I think that's the first thing to to look at. And the other one is, <clears throat> is your is the version of you five or 10 years from now going to be really pissed that you didn't try anything different for the last five or 10 years? I mean, that's what motivates me to make a lot of my decisions is is the 30-year-old Jacob going to be happy about what the 28-year-old Jacob decided to do? And I love this quote from Matthew McConaughey where his hero is himself in seven years. You never you never should be your hero, but you should strive to be your hero. And I just love that idea of like, is my future self going to be stoked about what myself today did? Are they going to be happy about it? Are they going to be proud of it? And I think that would just give a lot of people the motivation to say like, why am I doing what I'm doing right now? Like, Let's go for it. So I love that. I love that. Yeah. Jeb, um, this has been fantastic. Where can our listeners find and connect with you online? 
Yeah. So I'd love to connect with as many people as possible on LinkedIn. You can find me there, Jacob Burt. You'll see Jeb in the parentheses right next to that. And then you can find me on Instagram too, Jeb.Burt. Those are going to be my main two platforms, but definitely follow along with Burt as well. Our Instagram is uh, Burt Made It. And uh, we drop all of our latest content and collaborations and updates there. So you can see a lot of our work too. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast, powered by Hiscox. To learn more about how Hiscox can help protect your small business through intelligent insurance solutions, visit hiscox.com. That's H-I-S-C-O-X.com. And if you have a story you want to hear on this podcast, please visit hiscox.com slash share your story. I'm your host, Sanjay Park. You can find me on Twitter at at Sanjay, that's S-A-N-J-A-Y, or on my website at sanjayparek.com. <laughs>